0: are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. We are coming to you from the almost famous Study Room 3 of the Portsmouth Public Library in Portsmouth, New Hampshire today. With me as special guest co-host is Rob Apps. Rob is an award-winning freelance director, filmmaker, and editor based in the Boston area. I've had the privilege of working with Rob on some video projects, and it's great to have him with me here today. Welcome Rob.
1: Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Uh, You know I've always been a fan of your storytelling, so to have another medium that I can plug into is is quite enjoyable.
0: Well, I'm really happy to have you here. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Rob, you've made a number of short videos profiling people in the lighthouse preservation world, and uh, I understand you're working on a longer film on that subject. Uh, as a filmmaker, what attracted you to the subject of
1: lighthouses in the first place? That's a great question, Jeremy. I'm not sure I know the exact answer. It's more like hundreds of reasons. But um, mm-hmm. I think as a filmmaker, when you get to head out to some of these locations, you really get to you know, discover all these unique stories. And I think my favorite time to go out is right at that moment before sunrise. And you're looking at all these beautiful New England oranges and blues, and it's it's quite a sight as always.
0: I know uh, I had the privilege of being with you around Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse actually towards sunset. You did some drone footage and it's just uh, gorgeous to look at. So look forward to seeing more of your footage uh, on the uh, feature length documentary you're working on. Really looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, it's it's a a long, long project and it's taken some time, but I'm looking forward to uh, start putting it together. Uh
0: Well, again, thanks so much for being with me here today. A little later, uh, we're going to meet the caretaker at one of the most popular lighthouses in the world, the Nubble Light in Maine. But first, we're going to talk about the U.S. Lighthouse Society's tours. For listeners who are members of the U.S. Lighthouse Society, you probably already know about the domestic and international tours the Society offers. Those tours really set the organization apart. The tour routes are developed to maximize not only lighthouse touring, but also to provide better understanding of the culture and communities in which lighthouses are located. The proceeds from each trip are directed to supporting the Society's mission of lighthouse preservation and
1: education. Each year, the USLHS LHS offers a variety of tours in some amazing places. Some of this year's tours have already gone by, but there are still two domestic tours coming up a northern main tour that also takes place largely in Atlantic Canada, October 2nd to the 11th, and a Hawaii tour from October 30th to November 12th. And there's a tour on the Canadian side of Lake Erie in September.
0: Yeah, and there's also uh, two international tours available for 2020, a Sicily and Malta tour in late May into early June, and a tour on the Greek islands from September 19th to October 3rd. All the information on these tours is available on the USLHS website. Just go to uslhs.org and click on Tours.
1: Other tours in the works for 2020 include Tasmania and Australia, two different tours to Ireland, a tour in South Carolina and Georgia, and one in New Hampshire.
0: Yeah, I've played a role in the planning of the New Hampshire tour, and I'll be along on that one. We also have some neat side trips planned along with looks at New Hampshire's lake lighthouses, along with the seacoast. Uh, back in January, I spent a few days at the U.S. Lighthouse Society's headquarters in Hansville, Washington. While I was there, I went with uh, U.S. Lighthouse Society Director Jeff Gales and New Dungeness Light Station Manager Chad Kaiser to a breakfast presentation about the USLHS for a group at Bainbridge Island, a beautiful community connected by ferry to Seattle. After the presentation, we went to the home of Chris Brooks, who was a volunteer for the U.S. LHS. Chris plays a major role in the planning and leading of some of the society's tours. Let's listen to the conversation I had with Chris now. I am here today on Bainbridge Island, Washington, with Chris Brooks, who is a tour planner and tour guide, a volunteer tour planner, I should mention, and tour guide for the U.S. Lighthouse Society, and thank you so much for being with me today, Chris. Good morning. Uh, Good morning. And uh, Chris has been involved in a number of uh, really interesting tours and is planning future tours for the U.S. Lighthouse Society. And uh, Chris, I'd like to talk about a couple of the tours you've been involved with in, in recent years. One of the ones that uh, I've heard about that sounds especially fascinating was one you did a few years ago to the
2: Outer Hebrides in Scotland. That sounds fantastic. It was fantastic and actually it was my very first tour for the U.S. Lighthouse Society. We started in Oban and we chartered a former Norwegian rescue ship, the um, Haldenberg, and started out in terrible weather. Uh, which I thought was not a good album, but it turned out to be very fortuit, fortuit, very good. Uh, day one was out to Tobamori, but day two was to go out west towards Canna and the skipper took me aside and said that uh, we could get stuck in that mm-hmm. there was a Force 8, Force 9 gale coming in which meant sustained winds of over 60 miles an hour. Oh. And at that point, uh, we made it a choice to, instead of going clockwise around the he- outer Hebrides, we went anti-clockwise and were able to duck behind sky and the coolin mountains for a couple of days, uh, traveling a little faster because of the wet weather, which in turn got us to even more lighthouses later in the trip. Um, just magnificent country, whales, puffins, as well as wonderful lighthouses.
0: And I heard something about you had some interesting uh, passengers you got to meet on that trip.
2: We did indeed have some interesting passengers who it were, it, it, it was always funny as we approached the lighthouse we could be five or ten miles out and um, Molly, the cook, was always so excited she was dancing around on the foredeck and could hardly contain herself. And um, I asked her one one day. I said, Molly, how how come you're so interested? And she explained that she had actually been born in a lighthouse in uh, Southern Ireland in the Shannon Estuary. But not only were her parents lighthouse keepers, her grandmother was a lighthouse keeper, and in fact was the only woman lighthouse keeper in the whole history of Irish lighthouses. Wow! And I said, Well, come on, how does how did that happen? And she very casually turned around, oh, oh, she murdered her husband and her son. And they couldn't prove it, so they let her stay in the lighthouse for the next 10 years. <laughs> yeah, and can you tell a little bit, do, do you know the whole story behind it? I don't think I know too many details, but I understand that, uh, obviously, she wanted the lighthouse for herself. And there was an approaching bad weather, and at one point, her husband and son were outside, and she locked the doors. So, the storm arrived, and they had no no way of getting back inside to the lighthouse. Wow, <laughs> huh now, uh, for people who might be interested in doing one of these
0: tours with the u s lighthouse society, can you say a little bit about what they can expect um, you know uh, the type are they liable to uh,
2: experience local color, local cuisine, that type of thing on one of these tours? Can you say a little bit mm. about? Abs- that? Absolutely. As an organization, we have many thousands of members and we're all quite different. There are those who are the experts, almost the fanatics, and they could spend their whole day really just in one lighthouse. But the majority of people like shorter visits, And then after the visit, they want the gift shop or the museum or an interesting restaurant. And we go out of our way to include a mix uh, so that uh, they have a whole cultural experience on the trip, uh, which is the lighthouses plus, plus, plus. So, And you actually get into a lot of the lighthouses, is that correct? We do. uh, The uh, U.S. Lighthouse Society is very well connected. Um, Unfortunately, more and more these days, lighthouses are fully automated, the door is locked, and the controller uh, is probably 100 miles away with a computer. Uh, But we do have very good connections and in many instances can negotiate our way in or negotiate for an organization to help us get in. Mm -hmm. Um, That's part of... Very much part of what we do is getting people in places they could never possibly do on their own. Right, right, which is a, a really big deal to, to Lighthouse Buffs. It, it sure is. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, I know, uh, was it two or three years ago, you organized and, and uh, led a, an Alaska tour, huh. and that had to be a huge challenge because the lighthouses in Alaska are remote and, and f- actually pretty few and far between.
2: Indeed. Uh, And in fact, this was a little bit of a bet between myself and uh, Jeff Gales, the uh, director of the US Lighthouse Society, in that I, in planning tours, look over the tours that have been accomplished in the last 30 years, and I noticed Alaska was missing from the list. And uh, I heard that it was difficult. And when researching it, I found, in fact, there are really only... 15 major lighthouses between the canadian border and anchorage alaska Uh, so i set out with the goal of can we get to all 15. Uh, in reality we got to 14. Uh, but spectacular and it involved charter boats ferry boats lots of light aircraft and just fortunately we hit the weather perfect in that to, to get light aircraft and charter boats during the main tourist season is virtually impossible the cruise ship business is so large and so powerful they take up every available vessel so the only chance we had was to sneak in two weeks ahead of the main tourist season and lo and behold that was two weeks of absolutely glorious weather snow was all around us on the mountains but blue blue skies and lots of chance to get good photographs photographs are incredibly important to people on our groups Uh, They like to get in the lighthouses, but they always love to go home with a great photograph. And I
0: understand there's uh, one lighthouse you almost didn't get to before dark, but you just
2: barely made it. it? One of the lighthouses is a little over halfway between Ketchikan and Juneau. And the only way I could think of getting there was to take the ferry, Mm -hmm. in that the ferry makes a hard right-hand turn right by that lighthouse. In looking at the the speed and where we were, it was clearly obvious that we were going to get there just after 9 o'clock, and that meant it was probably dark. And so we sent all the ladies in our group up to see the captain and ask him if we could just speed up that little bit so we could get there right at dusk, which is exactly what happened. And then, the icing on the cake was when we got there, five whales started jumping and, and around the, in the waters around the lighthouse, fantastic photoshops and everybody was very happy. That's the thing about these tours, I actually had the
0: privilege of doing the England and Scotland tour last year at the US Lighthouse Society, which was fantastic, and it's the unexpected that makes it uh, so much fun. I mean, the expected parts of it are, are great too, but it's, it's what you don't expect that really makes it memorable. Uh, now, there's some really exciting uh, upcoming tours. I know there are tours to Greece, Greece and Sicily planned, is that correct?
2: There are indeed. Uh, the lighthouses of Greece are really quite unique, uh, but with all the islands, very difficult to reach again. Mm-hmm. So, we are we have chartered a lovely 110-foot yacht, motor yacht, and leaving uh Piraeus, Athens in May, and we'll be going around the islands of the Cyclades, and after returning to Athens, we then fly out to Crete. This tour sold out very quickly, Mm -hmm. and so we're going to repeat it again in the fall of 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, Also in 2020, in the spring of 2020, we are going to go to Naples, Italy. And journey all the way along the southern Italian coast over to Sicily down the Sicily coast and then across to Malta. So essentially, it's lots and lots of lighthouses, some wonderful ruins. We go to Pompeii, we go out to Capri and then on down to the lovely Greek theatres that we find on the coast of Sicily. But lo- um, it's only just being put on our schedule as it's, it's going to happen in May. It's a very specific date in May of 2020, as we would like to almost end our tour in Ragusa, in southern Sicily, at the Festival of St. George.
0: Mm. Wow. Those would both be like dream tours to me. Those are both extremely exciting, both in terms of the lighthouses and the culture in both cases.
2: Well, dream dream tours is what we set out, i like to set out to try and create tours of a lifetime. And so often it's the combination of what you plan, very good planning, but then it's the people you meet along the way and the things that happen. Um, Who would know on the Scottish tour that the terrible weather we started off with made our trip so much better by pushing us fast in the first few days which meant we could add three or four more lighthouses that were not on the original plan. It's the, the accidental thing sometimes along the way, and it's the people you meet. Mm-hmm. Well, on that
0: lovely note, thank you so much uh, for your time today, Chris, and I uh, hope to talk to you again
2: soon. Thank, thank you. you.
1: Again, to learn more about the tour offerings of the U.S. Lighthouse Society, just go to their website at uslhs.org and click on Tours. There are some really exciting trips coming up, both domestically and internationally. It's a great way to see lighthouses and to learn about other cultures.
0: Next, we're going to travel just about a half hour north of here to one of the most visited and photographed lighthouses in the world, the Cape Nettick Lighthouse in York, Maine. Built in 1879, it's on a small rocky island known as the
1: Nubble and is best known to the public as the Nubble Light. The light station is not open to the public, but visitors can drive to Sawyer Park in York to view the lighthouse and other buildings across a narrow channel of water. The light station is owned by the town of York, and it's managed by the town's parks and recreation department. Close to half a million people come to see it each year.
0: Matt Rosenberg is an English teacher and also the seasonal caretaker for Sawyer Park and the Nubble Lighthouse. Matt is among the privileged few people who actually get on the island, where he is in charge of maintenance and cleanup from spring through fall.
1: Matt is also the supervisor of a student organization known as the York Youth Lighthouse Preservation Association, or the YYLPA. The YYLPA was founded in 2016 by Sophie Blanchard a student who is inspired by a neighbor's love for lighthouses. It is the club's stated goal to spread their love for lighthouses and to keep them from falling into disrepair through volunteerism and fundraising.
0: This past March, I had a chance to sit down with Matt Rosenberg and with Rachel Carr, York High School student and president of the YYLPA. Let's listen to that conversation now. Matt and Rachel, thanks so much for being with me today. Rachel, what led you to get involved with Lighthouses?
3: Well, Sophie Blanchard was one of my best friends, still is, and she kind of created this and then I just got somehow roped into like going to a meeting. And I've just kind of stuck with it since.
0: So what kinds of activities has the club been involved in so far since you've been um, involved?
3: We've been able to uh, volunteer at Noble Light and actually go onto the lighthouse at Island and just like hang out for like a couple hours. We volunteered at um, Isle of Shoals, Star Island over um, like a weekend. Uh, we've done that two years in a row and I think we're going to try and do it this year as well. Um, we've also gone to schools and like taught about lighthouses um, we've read to, um, York elementary kids last, uh, two years ago, I think, um, just a Christmas book we made and created, um, about lighthouses and that went really well. And we just do a bunch of stuff.
0: Well, that's all, all good stuff. Matt, uh, your role with Noble Lighthouse has made it possible for the students, for the club to visit the Noble, to actually get on the island something not many people get to do, that
4: has to be pretty exciting for everybody involved. Oh, absolutely. We had a great time going out there, and the kids uh, helped us do our annual cleaning of the interior, which it really needs. It's a pretty yeah. dusty old building.
3: Yeah, really dusty. A lot of, a lot of little dead bugs around, but <laughs> nothing we can't handle. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. So, Rachel, what kinds of things have you learned uh, by being involved with the, with the L- Lighthouse Club?
3: I've learned, like, the basic skill of, like, leadership and, like, you know, the basic of that, but I've also learned a lot about the novel and, like, why it's so precious and so amazing to our community, and um, I just love it so much that I just, I don't know, I really don't have, like, a specific reason for why i do all of it but -hmm. i just love it
0: well sound like pretty good reasons (laughs) uh if there are any high school students listening to this podcast who might be interested in starting a similar club at their school would you have any advice for them
3: oh that's a good question (laughs) um i mean i would just like start it and then see how it goes you um you'd be surprised at like all of the kids that actually get involved with it, people that I am friends with because of the club, I never thought I would be, and it's it's a crazy experience. And I think when you put yourself out into the, your own community, you really get um, to know like all of this amazing stuff about this community, and like really helps like the pu- community to like trust in you, like all of this stuff you're doing, and respect what you're doing, and like. You just have a really good relationship because of it, and I think that's great.
0: Those of us in the lighthouse preservation community are always trying to figure out ways to get young people interested. Uh, so it's great to see a club like yours, like the one you have here at York High School. Would you have any advice for people like me? How do we get more young people interested in lighthouses?
3: I mean, I got into involved with it because of my friend that was inspired by it and I also have my great-grandmother who is 92 turned my uh, same birthday as myself she was born on the noble light and that really always had me interested in the noble and that club helped me to develop that inspiration and that love for helping out the community with the noble and to get more youth people into that I think they need to understand um, all the hard work that the older generations put into like all of this stuff that, that we keep so precious, like the nubble Light. Kids aren't allowed on the Nubble, but like it's to preserve something so like amazing and I mean, lighthouses are gorgeous and I don't I would hope that um people and like the people in my generation would understand how amazing it is and how like you should like help like keep that sacred and keep that like, you know, running.
0: You mentioned your great grandmother. Could you just tell us a little bit about that connection, what, about her being born uh, on the Nubble?
3: Yeah, her name is Barbara Finnamore. Um, she was born, I think, in 1927, March 19th. Um, she was born on the Nubble because that night there was a s- snowstorm.
0: And her grandfather was the keeper, right?
3: Yes. And um, so she was born, and they couldn't get her over um, in time, ta- her mother over in time to get to the hospital so she was born there and then the doctor actually had to come the next morning Mm -hmm. and make sure everything was okay but yeah she's a she's an awesome great grandma i love Mm -hmm. her and then i got the honor of being born on the same day as her and we get to celebrate and do everything together i mean she's 92 she's living the best dream and she loves that lighthouse to death oh (laughs) it's
0: so great you have that connection yeah well, Rachel, so, thank you so much for for being here and for everything you're doing, uh, Matt. Let me ask you, what's your favorite thing about working with the students uh, Lighthouse Club?
4: Uh, I think the thing that I really like about working with the kids in the Lighthouse Club is that their enthusiasm for the service component of it. Uh, I think service really speaks to young people because they have a lot of energy for things and they like they they're very interested in what's right and. Uh, When they have the opportunity to participate in something that is making things right, uh, like community service, I think that really gets them excited about it. And it brings out the best in teenagers. And uh, to see them collaborate on things like working with young people, um, you know, it's such a two-way street in terms of the benefit to the kids and to the, um, the kids from our club in terms of what they both get out of that experience. So I think the service aspect, and you can't help but be really proud of the really nice kids that you get to work with when you see them doing good things for their community and other people. So Matt, uh, let's
0: talk uh, some more about your seasonal position as the caretaker at Noble Lighthouse in Sawyer Park. Uh, Essentially, you're the modern-day keeper, although the Coast Guard still takes care of the active light and fog signal. What's the best thing about the job?
4: I think the best thing about being the... A keeper caretaker at the noble light is um the people actually get to me you know i spend my time both at noble light and in the park and while i love the time that i spend at the lighthouse you know it's fantastic i get to be out there on my own and i'm kind of in charge of just about everything except the light i really enjoy my time in the park where i get to meet, meet people from all over the world um you know, There, there are so many interesting people out there, and people love the novel so much that they're super enthusiastic. So any part of my day that I spend interacting with the public, that's really usually the highlight of my day. What's the worst thing about the job? <laughs> the worst thing? Well, I have two things that are the, probably the worst thing. The first is kind of picky, but because I take care of the park as well, I would say um, the litter. You know, we got, you got a half a million visitors a year. And a lot of our visitors are super conscientious and other ones aren't. And uh, so the litter kind of, over over time, will get on my nerves a little bit. And then uh, those days when I have a lot to do and the ocean is just way too rough for me to get across... Uh, you know, sometimes in the month of May, I'll go every day and I'll look at the water and I'll look across at the grass growing and realize that it's growing way faster than I can keep up with it and that my job is getting bigger and bigger and bigger when all I want to do is be on the other side mowing the lawn and I'm on this side uh, waiting for things to calm down.
0: Yeah, it's not, it's not a, a long way across that channel from the, the mainland to the island, but as you said, it's, it's often rough. Have you ever made the trip and, and uh, run
4: into surprise uh, going across there? Yeah, I, that's happened a couple of times. Um, you know, one time I made it across and I broke an oar. Um, and thankfully, it was in summer. So I managed to, I swam back. It was uh, a rough day. A couple times I've gotten dunked. The, you know, the thing about it is whenever it's rough, people always gather to watch you cross and you can tell just by looking at them that they're not really rooting for you. And uh, so a couple of times that I've definitely put on a show where I end up in the water for people. But, you know, by the, for the most part, I, I, I make it across and I try to be somewhat cautious, especially when the water's cold.
0: <laughs> uh, you do some amazing photography, uh, which people can see in your Facebook page under the name Nubble Art. And uh, maybe you can say something about what some of your favorite photographic moments you've been able to capture. Uh,
4: yeah, I mean, I'm particularly enamored by all the waves. You know, I mean, the, the, they're so varied and they're, every one of them is different. Um, and the different angles that you can take the lighthouse from. So I like waves and I like clouds. So those perfect days when you want to be in the park where there's not a cloud in the sky and the ocean is totally calm. Those are not the days that I usually like to photograph. But, you know, any time that you can really get some action in a scene or a lot of depth, that's what I like. And the other thing I like, too, about those kinds of days, you know, like foggy days, cloudy days, rough days, is I feel like that really captures what the lighthouse was made for. It wasn't made for sunny, calm days. It was made for those times when you couldn't see very well and you needed to be warned about the hazards that are just laying beneath the, the surf. And so for me, I feel like that captures the spirit of what the Nubble Lighthouse is better than just about anything else.
0: Mm-hmm. How about wildlife? You've captured uh, seals, birds, uh, different kinds of wildlife as well.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting things is that most of the time the animals have their the, the island to themselves, and they get accustomed to that. So we have a lot of nesting seagulls, both um, you know regular Atlantic gulls and black Eastern blackback gulls um, that nest on the island, which at first they tolerate you and then they get their eggs under them and suddenly they don't want you around anymore. Um, you know, we've had a snowy owl that's been hanging out on the Island for the last couple of weeks. Um, and, uh, they're pretty, He's kind of aloof, but they're also, uh, beautiful. And we see whales from time to time. We've had several of those in the last years. And then in the springtime we get quite a lot of Harbor seal pups. Uh, the Island is really, the, it's a point, you know, it's at the end of a point, and it's the only backwater uh, out that way. And so it becomes like a refuge for them. And, you know, it's really kind of exciting to see them. We love seeing them when they're healthy, um, less so when they're not. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, the, the wildlife story at the Nubble, below, above and below the water, is is amazing as the history.
0: Uh, now, I know you've had a chance to meet some of the keepers of the past and family members of keepers. Uh, that has to be a thrill and a fun part of the job as well.
4: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the fun thing about meeting people who have lived there is that they can tell the story of the active, the most active part of the lighthouse's history. And hearing it from first person is pretty exciting. Uh, And realizing that how much it's changed over time as well, pretty great. It just gives personality to the lighthouse. Um, I can remember that when I brought the last keeper over for a visit, um, he walked in the workshop. And when I got there, the workshop... It just was kind of in disarray, and I, one of the first things I did was put it to order. And I walked; in, he walked in, and he's like, "Wow, it's just like I left it the day I walked out of here," which kind of blew my mind because nothing that I had put there um, had been in that place when I got there. So <laughs> it's it kind of was uh, gives me a chill when I think about it. know. Nubble Light has to be one of the most
0: popular lighthouses in the world. It's one of the icons of the main coast. What makes it so special, do you think?
4: You know, I've given this a lot of thought because, uh, I mean, there's such an emotional component. It goes way beyond, like, a reasonable attachment sometimes. Um, You know, people just have such strong affection for this place. And I think it has to do with the fact that they can't go there. You know, it's like it's that magical thing. You can see it and you can experience it, but you you can't walk up and touch the building. I feel like if it was sitting on land, it would be like a lot of other places that people would visit one time and then they would have seen it and they would have experienced it and then they'd be done with it and they move on to something else. But the nubble, that unreachable quality of it, I think really has a lot of appeal to people. And it's always unspoiled. Um, you know, like it's there's never anybody in the front yard unless it's me. And there's it's just kind of like a little trapped in a little bubble of past history.
0: I think you're right. I think that is a big part of its appeal. You can't quite get there. But it is a, a magical place for sure. Well, Matt Rosenberg, thank you so much for being with me today. The uh, caretaker and modern day keeper of Noble Light, I really appreciate your time. Thank yeah. you so much.
4: Thank you, Jeremy. It was fun.
0: This summer, the J.B. Leslie Company of South Berwick, Maine has been working on the third and final phase of a major restoration of the Cape Nettick-Nubble Light Station, which includes roof repairs to the Keeper's House, repairs to the workshop building, and replacement of the fencing. This follows work that was done last year, including repairs and repainting of the Keeper's House and Lighthouse Tower. At this point, we're going to announce a special offer in the U.S. Lighthouse Society's online gift shop. Rob, can you help me with that?
1: Absolutely, Jeremy. All people need to do is go to uslhs.org, then click on Shop. In the online gift shop, there are lighthouse books, maps, collectibles, t-shirts, and baseball caps, and more. Your reward for listening to this podcast is that you can get a 10% discount by entering the code I'm about to give you when you place an order. The coupon code is lighthearted1. That's L I G H T H E A. R-T-E-D-1. All uppercase letters. Again, when you place an order in the U.S. Lighthouse Society's online gift shop, enter that coupon code and you'll get 10% off.
0: And that code will be good through August 19th. Again, the coupon code is Lighthearted1. Lighthearted with the number 1 at the end. Rob. Before we wrap things up today, I want to ask you something. For someone interested in lighthouse preservation, you're relatively young. You're certainly a lot younger than I am. Uh, And uh, many of us in the lighthouse preservation field are in our 60s or older, but you're in your 30s somewhere. That's correct, yeah. (laughs) Lower 30s, I would say. That's right. Uh, I want to ask you if you have any ideas about how we can interest younger generations in lighthouses and their preservation.
1: It's actually a great question, Jeremy. This is a question I usually ask all of the subjects in my film. Um, But I I truly believe you can't force someone to, you know, be passionate or interested in something. You know, you can't really force that upon them. So you also have to have that time, that availability. And um, I think the key is not to seek out consistent Daily or weekly or monthly volunteers. Um, I think it's I think it's more about finding individuals or groups or companies really that can volunteer maybe their services once a year maybe it's a specialty um, whether that's on the labor side uh, you know a young growing electrician carpenter. Um, painters you know maybe it's someone on the marketing side a, a photographer or a filmmaker that can capture events um, a web designer that can create a better virtual experience for people um, you know some of my favorite projects i've created have been filming for nonprofits, um, and those came about um, by the person contacting me i didn't necessarily seek those projects out um, so i think if you reach out to young people and find those specialties that people can help you out on i think that might be a better outlet. I don't know if that's the Mm -hmm. right answer or or Mm -hmm. what it is. I don't, I don't know if you're going to get people to, to con, you know, consistently do it with time and everyone's so busy in life these days. So it's hard.
0: So maybe it's sort of about building teams, getting people to contribute their, their talents here and there, rather than expecting people to become completely uh, involved in light, to devote their lives to lighthouses, to just get them to here and there devote their talents, to contribute their talents.
1: Another answer might be that you get into schools or get into the school system a little earlier because I know Alex Dias of, of Palmham Rocks, he was introduced at a very young age and mm-hmm. he's been, you know, completely involved and he's just freshly out of college. So he's yeah. a good example of how you can get young people involved.
0: Yes, uh, getting school groups to the lighthouses is certainly important. We're, we're trying to do that. The U.S. Lighthouse Society, the American Lighthouse Foundation, school group, I mean uh, lighthouse organizations all over the country, I think, are uh, making an effort to do that. It's really, really important to introduce kids to lighthouses at a young age. But uh, there seems to be a gap between the time kids get out of school until they get to be about sixty years old, <laughs> in between there to get them involved in some way.
1: And I and I firmly believe my generation wants to help mm-hmm. anytime they can. But I just I think lighthouse groups or individuals need to reach out to them. I don't I don't know if that door's fully been opened to them. So I think it doesn't hurt to ask for help. I think you just have to go find those people.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's. Well said. I think it makes a lot of sense what you're saying, so thanks for that. Well, at this point, that wraps up this episode of Lighthearted. I want to thank our guests today, Matt Rosenberg, caretaker of the Nubble Lighthouse, and Rachel Carr of the YYLPA at York High School. Also, Chris Brooks, volunteer tour planner and leader for the U.S. Lighthouse Society.
1: Thanks to all the staff and volunteers of the US Lighthouse Society in Hansville, Washington, as well as all the U.S. LHS volunteers across the country and around the world. Be sure to check out the USLHS online at uslhs.org, and you can also find their social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And
0: thanks to all of you out there who work for Lighthouse Organizations, volunteer for Lighthouse Organizations, or donate to Lighthouse Organizations, or even if you simply like to visit Lighthouses we need all of you so keep doing what you're doing and of course many thanks to my guest co-host today filmmaker rob apps to see the short films that rob has made about people in the lighthouse preservation world go to www.thelastlightkeepers.com again www.thelastlightkeepers.com and click on inspiration i hope you had a good time rob
1: absolutely thank you for having me jeremy
0: And as always, thanks for listening and keep a good light.